Father, thank you for all of um, the hard work that Rob has put into preparing for this. Father, I thank you for how you've spoken to him, what you've shared with him. Lord, and I just pray that as he speaks this morning, um, that he would really listen to you, Father God, that you would speak through him and use him um, to really encourage and challenge each one of us, God. Amen. One, two, one, two. This is the first time that I've preached without using the Britney Spears mic, so if it all goes wrong, that is why. It's great to, uh, to be with you today to share, um, as part of this series, close the series, um, The Habits of Happiness. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's a series I've really, um, I've really loved. It's a series going through, obviously, the book of Philippians, going through different aspects, different habits that we can build into our lives that can help us to find true happiness. So we've looked at humility, we've looked at gratitude, we've looked at rejoicing, we've looked at those kind of daily practices that we can build in. But I think something that really cuts through those and can be a real distraction getting in the way is worry. And that's what I'm going to be focusing on today is, is worry, how we can stop worrying so much and what the guidance that Paul gives us through this final chapter in Philippians that, that make that possible. So there's lots, of course, that we can stress and we can worry about. Maybe it's our jobs, maybe it's our financial situation, perhaps relationships, our health, the amount of sleep that we get. And worry is seen throughout the narrative of Scripture, of course, in lots of different places. We see Adam and Eve, they, they worry after they ate the apple. Joseph's brothers worried after they had sold him into slavery in Genesis 42. Moses worried about his credentials, as he was called in Exodus 3. At the start of Jeremiah, he worried that he was too young, that he couldn't speak. The disciples worried as Jesus announced he would be leaving. You know, throughout scripture, we see the history of man have struggled with worry. Why is that? Because it is difficult not to. To never worry about anything is a tough call to obey. We find ourselves overwhelmed, overwhelmed overloaded, and overworked. It leads us altogether to being over-worried. It is going to get funnier in a bit, guys, don't worry. You know, worry, it slows us down, it distracts us on the road that we're on. And as I was preparing this message today, I felt this picture of a car kind of coming up kind of time and time again as I was sort of thinking about what I would share so I draw on this analogy quite a lot. It's why I have my car right at the front. But also I feel that God really brought that to me because part of my journey to worry, with worry was learning how to drive. It was quite a story. I'll share with you the key headlines in a bit. But I think that's why God really brought that because he wanted me to be sharing that vulnerability 
um, yeah, and that journey of worry. So it creeps in to our lives in a range of different aspects. And for me, my driving tests, for which I had a few, um, were quite an experience of worry and really battling with that. Now, they say the best drivers pass on their seventh time. That was very much true for me. I'll give you the, um, the brief history. Test number one nearly crashed at a roundabout. We debated, me and the examiner, about how serious that was. <laughs> Test number two, too many failures to mention. I think probably about five or six in that hour. Test number three was a tough one. I've completely forgot how to hill start. So I was sat on a hill in Heaton, um, and I stalled probably about eight times in a row. Every single way you could stall, I managed to do it. And each stall kind of made the next one worse. So that was, that was a particularly challenging one. Test number four, I changed the lane without indicating. Obviously, that happens a lot in Bradford, but um, <laughs> just, just joining in with everyone else. <laughs> Test number five, I think we're on, pulling out of a junction too early. Test number six, now I'm getting closer here, over-signalling and stopping at a red light that I wasn't meant to. So, pretty, pretty safety conscious by this point. Test number seven, I finally made it July the 10th, 2017. Thank you. Thank you. You know, in and of itself, worry is futile, but I was really... Um, I was shackled by it for a long time in my driving. And I want to um, unpack why worry is, um, why it is just so, uh, it's not, not good for us and for a, diff- for a few different points. And then I'll be getting into the chapter of Philippians and the pathway that Paul gives us to find freedom from worry. Someone that speaks fantastically on the subject of worry is Corrie ten Boom really inspirational person, and I'll be drawing on a story a bit later. But as I share these points, um, conveniently, I think I found a quote that really illustrates them well. So first and foremost, worry is illogical. Worry is about tomorrow, but we experience the worry of tomorrow today. So Corey says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Secondly, it's irrational. It exaggerates the problem. It doesn't work. Worry is a cycle of inefficient thoughts whirling around a center of fear, as Corrie ten Boom says. You know, when I got to my seventh test, looking back, I did something very differently because the first six were all about Worry, it was what was, I, what was going to happen next? How should I do this now? Why did I do that thing just then? I was worrying about the future. I was worrying about what I was doing in the present. And I was worrying about what I just, had just done in the past. It's completely irrational. Worry is unhelpful as well. It doesn't change the past or control the future. A lot of it, of course, doesn't even happen. We're not moving forwards when we're worrying. Corey says that worry is like racing the engine of a car without letting go of the clutch. We're not going to get anywhere fast. 
And then finally, it's unhealthy. We can often describe ourselves as being worried sick. Now, I don't think the reason why I've lost my hair at the age that I have is because of worry, but it may have, may have played a part. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't sit well with us. It's not good for us. So final quote from Corrie ten Boom, and this is my favorite one. It says, look at the world, you'll be distressed. Look within and you'll be depressed. Look to Christ and you'll be at rest. I love that, that that through Jesus, through trusting in him, we find rest, we find freedom. And that's my key point today. It's bringing our worries to God and trusting in him. Something that I really want to say as well before I move on is that I do not want to confuse or put in the same place worry and anxiety. I think they're two very different things. So I don't want to trivialize anyone's battle with, with anxiety at all, um, whatsoever. But I hope as well that as we go through the scripture, we will really find a lot of encouragement wherever we are, whatever we've been um, facing, that that will really encourage us um, yeah, through, through God's word. And, um, and the teaching in Philippians, it really draws on the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount. So in Matthew 6, Verse 25, Jesus speaks really clearly on on the worries of life, but also the necessities of life. And Paul really echoes that teaching in um, in Philippians 4. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go from Philippians 4 and 4 to 9. I'm going to share a couple of thoughts, and then we'll go through the second half of the passage um, with a few more thoughts. So I'll just read that out for us. So Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Paul is, is wrapping up his letter here. What we get in Scripture is, is lots of, of subheadings put in which really help us to, um, to read the Bible clearly. It's great for preachers as well, looking at really clear sections. And the subheading that I have at the top of this passage is final exhortations. And I think that's interesting. I was looking into that word. And the definition is to address and communicate emphatically, urging someone to do something. Now, Paul is closing his letter, and he really chooses to emphasize this theme of worry. He's talked a lot about obedience in, um, in this letter. He's talked a lot about um, humility. He's talked a lot, a lot about rejoicing in Jesus. 
And I really love how he closes on, on wrapping it together. We bring our worries to God. He wants to be really clear on this. Because he knows that the Philippians had a lot to worry about. They were worrying about Paul's safety. They were a poor church. They would be worrying about their wealth. They would have had internal conflict within and external persecution from without. It says in Philippians 1, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. The Philippians were up against it, but they were trusting in God, keeping close to him. Unfortunately, when Paul says in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say that and move on. But he presents a real pathway, a real clear course that the church in Philippi could then take. And I think it's really relevant to us as well. So my first point today, you may have guessed it, is that it's got to start with a real basis of prayer. If we could go back to that verse, in um, that first verse there. But in every situation... Every situation by prayer and petition. He cares about it all, every situation. We bring it all to God. But then the prayer and petition as well, the consistency that that means, the privilege that that is, that we have a God who listens to our prayers and petitions. He's not just listening to the first prayer. And then maybe the second prayer, maybe the third if he has time. The fourth, he's like, right, you need to move on now. He listens to it all. He listens to our prayer and petition. We see this throughout scripture. In Daniel 9, it says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting. We see throughout the narrative of scripture, people living Um, through times of worry, but we see alongside that people throughout scripture bringing their worries to God in prayer. And through that, through that relationship, they overcome. Because we have the peace of God, because we know the God of peace. He guards our hearts and minds. Paul knew this, the difference of prayer that it makes, the the fact that prayer changes things. Because the church in Philippi, the early church at this time, was growing out of, growing out of a place of worry with the persecution that they're facing, but growing from a real foundation, a strong foundation of prayer. You know, it can be said that if we prayed as much as we worried, we would have a whole lot less to worry about. Max Ocado said this, no one can pray and worry at the same time. I know for myself, I wonder if this is the same for you. How often does something happen and we worry about it for a long time before we bring it to God in prayer? What if we were to flip that around, the difference that that would make, the freedom that that would bring us? Worry when we're living in that place, can often be like acting like God can't be trusted, that he doesn't have it all together. So we have to worry about who does. And I loved what Jenny said this morning, that we can always be thankful 
We can always be thankful of the fact of the cross, that God paid that price. If he was willing to pay that price, to go that far, to sacrifice his son, it makes sense that he would care about the smaller stuff, doesn't it? That he would be willing to go that far as well. So it's the basis of prayer, but also it's our mindset. And Paul really challenges us to think about good things. In verse 8, that challenge of, of whatever is true, the noble, the right, the pure, the lovely, the admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. You know, what we put into our minds, what we believe about ourselves, what is spoken over us comes out in our actions, comes out in our relationships. And of course, this world, it has a lot of issue issues with pollution, issues that need to be handled and, and, and tackled. But I think something that we really easily neglect in our culture today is the pollution in our minds. It has really negative results. It really chokes the word of God as we encounter it. It distracts us from what he is doing with us, amongst us. It breeds unbelief, It's the opposite of faith, and it just leads to more fear, that negative pollution in our minds. When we put our identity in the wrong places, when we live in a place of insecurity, when we look around us and we are comparing ourselves to others, that negativity really fuels our worries. I think this is a huge issue across generations, but especially for young people today where identity is being seen in in things like social media, where there's so much comparison and envy going on. Recent research shows that two-thirds of children and young people say they worry all the time. And I read yesterday that one-third of children, that's 8 to 15, have money worries. One-third of children. But Paul speaks with a great freshness, really unpacking those things, whatever it is, whatever is pure, is lovely, is admirable, is excellent. Think about such things. Because our internal, our internal thoughts, they really impact our external reality. In verse 8, Paul gives us these thoughts. This is what we should be thinking on. This is what we should be resting on, living on, thriving on, those positive thoughts. But if that doesn't actually lead to practice, then then where does it go? So we see verse 8, that challenge of thought. Verse 9, practice. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Reiteration again of, of that peace, that trusting in God brings us that peace. Looking to others, getting those mentors in place that can really challenge us, that we can learn from what they have put into practice, that has allowed them to cope through what they have gone through. It's really key thought and practice. For a long time, I was learning to drive, I was very insecure in my skills. I compared myself to where others were at. 
others that had passed after 30 hours of lessons, while I'm struggling on roundabouts after 40. People that had passed first time while I was in my third, fourth and fifth time. I didn't want to talk about driving. I didn't look forward to my driving because my mindset it was holding, holding me back. And something that really began to free me was just changing the mindset. I'm quite a positive person, but for some reason, my driving, it was in a different place. And actually, bringing, bringing it to God, bringing it to God in prayer, but then in practice as well. Not dwelling on what I hadn't done or not focusing on what I need to do next, but taking it one step at a time. And with a great instructor and with a whole lot of prayer, it brought me through. So we've looked at prayer, we've looked at positive thinking. Next up, and very appropriate for this week, is thankfulness. So I'm going to read Philippians 10, 13. It says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. We see thankfulness throughout the book of Philippians. Thankfulness in the good and the bad for what God has done. But the reality is that's not easy, is it? Are we thankful for the opportunities that God gives us to have more faith in him? Those opportunities of real difficulty. Are we really praying with thanks? I know I've struggled with that a lot in the past. Verse 10, it says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Paul, of course, is in prison. He's very old at this point. But he's so thankful for the support that the church in Philippi have given him. Matt, a couple of weeks ago, drew really well on the journey of Apophroditus. He nearly died on that journey to give Paul that care package. I wonder where he was on that journey and those really difficult points when he was absolutely shattered, when he was at death's door, was he thankful? God brought him out of that place and actually Apophroditus became the first bishop of Philippi. God had a purpose with that journey as God has a purpose with the journeys that we're on. Paul being imprisoned in Rome he was, it would be a difficult place to, to have that contact with the church in Philippi. That he, but he knows they're plugging away. He knows that they're there with him. I loved how Josie um, brought out how with Paul being in chains, chained to the prison guards, he was thankful for that opportunity, even amongst the chains, that, that he had an opportunity to witness, to share who God is. And he found strength in that place. It's amazing what God does 
out of situations of real brokenness. And then we can look back, and I'm sure many of us will see from those really difficult points the way that God used them, the way that God used them for his glory. The story of Corrie ten Boom is an amazing one. I'm going to share part of it. She passed away after many years of serving the Lord. She and her family, they grew up living through um, Nazi rule in Germany. And actually what they did is they hid a lot of Jewish people in their home who otherwise would have been killed. Her family were eventually captured and when she was in a Nazi prison camp, it was such a horrible place. It was flea-ridden. She couldn't stand it. Her older sister, Betsy, she said to her, you know, I found something in the Bible that will help us. It says, in all things, give thanks. Corrie said, I can't give thanks for the fleas. Betsy said, well, give thanks that we're together. Most families have been split up. And Corrie thought, well, I can do that. I can give thanks for that. Her sister continued, give thanks that somehow the guards didn't check our belongings and that our Bible is with us. So she gave thanks for that. But Corrie could not even think about giving thanks for the fleas. Later, when they were free, they found out that the only reason they weren't assaulted by the prison guards was because their captors were so repulsed by the fleas that they would not go in to the cell. So Corrie learned to give thanks for those lowly creatures. It's a powerful story, isn't it? Just God using that desperation, using that brokenness for his glory. I wonder, what do we have to be thankful for? Finally, as I close, Paul challenges us to be thankful, but to be content in everything. And we see in this passage that it has been a really clear learning experience. He knows what it is to be in need. He knows what it is to have plenty, as it says in verse 12. But he's learned to be content whatever circumstances. Sometimes we can be shackled by that when and then thinking and lifestyle. When I have this, then I will be happy. When I get that job, then I will be happy. When I've achieved this, then I will be able to rest. But I think if we're living in that place, it can lead us to comparison. It can lead us to envy. Whereas Paul shows us that we don't have to live in that place. He shows us what we can put value in, in something so much more solid and consistent that will last the test of time. Because when we put our value in the wrong things, in our possessions, in our, in our life circumstances at that point, it leads us to fear 
to worry. It wraps itself around it. Because ultimately, worry is unseeing. We don't have to have it in control, everything in our lives, because we know that God does. He is in, control, he is in charge. He is behind the wheel. A verse that is a really famous one in Scripture, Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Now, you may remember a few years ago, the Olive Branch Choir visited us. I won't sing the song, but they said, I can do all things, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. One of the best songs that was ever written. But I think as a verse, it's on fridge magnets across the world. It's on posters. It is the, um, it's written, um, it's a slogan of, of athletes everywhere. But I think it's a verse that we can really take out of context. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Because it comes right at the end of the letter. But the whole letter itself is grounded in place of real obedience to God, trusting in God and who he is in his will. Philippians 4.13, it needs to be read in the context of Philippians 2.13, which says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's all according to his will. He is in control. He is behind the wheel, so we don't have to be. And when we're trusting in his will, he is willing us on. He is with us. He goes before us. We're not on our own. He's present with us by his spirit. My final car analogy. When you have a breakdown, I'm probably going to get one imminently. But when that happens, you don't just go to the mechanic and the mechanic maybe gives it a little polish, maybe cleans the windows, passes it back to you. It's fine. You drive away. You have the same problem. You go back to the mechanic. He cleans the windows, gives it a polish, gives it back to you. It's fine. It keeps happening. You don't just polish externally. But you've got to get into the mess. You've got to get underneath. You've got to look inside to make it new. And that is what Jesus does for us. He doesn't just want to look, want things to look a little bit better externally. But he cares about our heart. He wants to journey with us through that stuff that we're facing. Through the pain, through the worry, through the torment. He wants to journey with us to make it new. Why? Because he is our father. He loves us that much. To close, in the book Lead by Karl Martin, it says all the power and competence, all the capacity, all the resources of the creator of the universe come in the form of the father. He's perfectly able, perfectly relational. He cares about your anxiety and your upset. He emphasizes with your situation because he has experienced it. He understands it. He understands the pain because he's a father. He is the father and he is your father. 
and he is bigger than anything that you currently face. Now soon we're going to be singing one more song in worship. But I wonder whether now, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? And, And I wonder whether for you there is a real struggle, a real worry that you're facing. Maybe if you you just want to close your eyes, bring that to God. I would encourage you afterwards as well to, to chat to the prayer team. But I wonder whether that is that thing that is particularly on your heart, that you're really feeling that, that you want to give that to God. Say, God, you are in charge. You're behind the wheel. Maybe today there's something that we need to be thankful for. Maybe there is something that, that has been going on for a while that actually when you say, God, I know you're at work in this. I know you're there. Maybe our mindset needs to change. Maybe we are living in a place of negativity. Maybe we're chasing after something that God is saying to us, we don't, you don't need that. You need more of me. Let's give that to God. Father, I thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are in control. And that we don't have to be. Through the resurrection, you made a way where we can be in relationship with you, can be utterly dependent on you. And we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you that you are with us. Thank you for what you are doing through us. Through the struggle, through the pain, we can have hope in you because we know you have the victory. So I pray, would you help us? Would you help us meet with you through worship, through your word? through relationship. And Lord, we put you in the highest place right now. You are our praise. In Jesus Christ's name, we long to worship you. Amen.